Hey everyone, welcome to yet another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Ash Thorpe, and this week we are joined by Chris Doe, the entrepreneurial CEO and founder of the studio Blind, who joins us this week to share his family history and the beginnings of his career in design, what some of his personal and professional goals are, and the current state of the brick-and-mortar art education and how he aims to change things up a bit. This episode is brought to you by Learn Squared, which is an art education platform founded and powered by industry-leading artists. Learn cutting-edge art techniques and discover firsthand how other artists from around the world learn. Head over to LearnSquared.com and apply the promotional code COLLECTIVE during checkout for a 10% discount off your order. Here we go, everybody. Episode 144 with Chris Doe. Let's roll. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, I know you're super busy, so thank you for coming on. Um, yeah, this is gonna there. There's a lot of things that are going to be very interesting. There's going to be some interesting, controversial things to talk about in this in this, conversation, this episode. <laughs> this is great, though. I think you know when I watched your um, so how it came about, how I came to know mm-hmm. you is I think we've talked before a while back. We did, um, yeah, because you run blind, and we yes. talked about working together. Yeah, and, and then uh, you know the blindness of just crazy schedules and stuff, and then years later, then and then um, here you are, motionographer, and you're doing that talk about the brick lane thing, and we'll get into yes. that in a bit because um, okay. I'm sure you know I'm sure that's there's some interesting things that you said about that, but let's let's talk about to get us kind of a better lens on who you are. I, I'm kind of curious more or less about your upbringings, the beginnings, your start, and the, all this stuff, kind of because that really says a lot about. Your, your root for core foundations of value, you know, and, and that will kind of help pave the way I think for, you know, as we navigate the rest of this conversation. So more or less like, you know, where did you grow up? Okay. Great question for, uh, just to kind of set the stage for everybody because they don't realize this, but yeah. I'm a first generation Vietnamese American. Uh, I came to America in 1975 after the fall of Saigon and I have no memories or recollection of my home country. And the more I learn about it, the, the more interesting things get. But my dad and mom went from having a, um, what do you call it? White collar, upper middle class, uh, lifestyle to becoming totally like the bottom of the social economic ladder. Hmm. They, they came to this country. My mom worked in, uh, uh, what is it called? The embassy. So she had some, some English, but my dad less. And the first job that he had coming to America, <clears throat> excuse me, he told me I worked at a restaurant. I said, dad, what, what were you a waiter? And he laughed at me and gave me this incredulous look. He said, no, uh, to be a waiter, you have to actually be able to speak English. I was the bus boy. I cleared the tables. Hmm. So that's my dad's first job in America and we landed in in Kansas City, Missouri, where we lived for a couple of years. Wow. And we we lived there mostly because this is where your sponsor family was and they tried not to break up families as much as possible. But given that my both my mom and dad have seven, eight brothers and sisters each, obviously one sponsor is not going to be able to help you acclimate. So The majority of the families went to California. Some of us landed, like my mom, my dad, and my mom's sisters and brothers uh, landed in Kansas City, Missouri. Wow. And that's where we were for a couple of years. And then we moved from there to California and thankfully rejoined with everybody in San Jose. So I grew up in the valley, Silicon Valley. And, you know, going from a lower class neighborhood to eventually being an upper class neighborhood throughout um, the span in which my dad's career went. And he went from being that bus boy, very humble beginnings, to becoming the chief engineer at a semiconductor company called Applied Materials. 
Hmm. And my mom worked at IBM as a designer drafter. And she was working on old school equipment, uh, drafting tables and drafting tape, drawing and laying out chipboards or circuitry. It's very complicated uh, technical stuff. And I, I watched them both work really hard. My dad, uh, most of the time, would wake up and go to work and come home. And I would basically he would get up before dawn and come home after the sun went down. And that was his life. Wow. And we, we saw him on the weekends. We saw him at night at the dinner table. But it, it wasn't like we spent a ton of time together. Mm. And that's uh, kind of me just kind of figuring things out. And I can remember from a very young age, this kind of entrepreneurial thing. I didn't know what that was called, but I had a desire to make money because I very selfishly uh, desired things. I wanted things and my parents were very conservative and frugal about their money. Mm-hmm. And they, they needed to be, even though they had money. I, I think that's what I later discovered in therapy is that uh, the refugee me- mindset is you never know when you lose it all. Yes. Again. And so you kind of, it affects your psychology and it impacted me as a consequence. So I was thinking, man, I want to hustle. I want to, what can I do as a kid? I was thinking when I can turn, uh, when I turn 15 and I can get a worker's, uh, worker's permit, I can start working and earning the minimum wage and do whatever it is I could. But until then, what can I do? So I try to do every single thing you could imagine from going door to door to sell magazine subscriptions, totally failed at that because ultimately I, I'm a very introverted, shy person very difficult for me to go door to door. And so I wound up just selling subscriptions to uh, family, friends, and um, friends of family. Mm. And so that's a limited circle. I was not that kind of person who could just go out and do that. I love fishing. I would try and catch uh, crayfish in the creek and sell that to people. Anything I could make, do, or wash cars, or clean somebody something, it didn't really matter to me. I just wanted to hustle and make a buck. And so that's kind of like, me in a nutshell in terms of my entrepreneurial drive and I've worked every odd and end job and I want people to know this because if later on we delve into this kind of thing where I, people think I'm an elitist and I understand why they say that mm. about how I don't value the worker I, I very much value the worker because that was me I yeah. was earning three dollars and 25 cents I believe minimum wage working at the fabric warehouse stocking bolts of fabrics mm. um, it was because it was the closest place I could go to work on my skateboard and yeah. that's where I, then I worked at Arby's, uh, you know, doing French fries, the fry boy coming home every day with grease on my face. Two weeks later, I quit. I worked as a <laughs> stock boy, uh, in a grocery store uh, for my uh, girlfriend's uh, parents. I did that. And then I worked at a silk screening place. I worked at a desktop publishing place and in the back, uh, a company called Zebra Copies. It's like the Kinko's. Uh, yeah, I remember day. that. Yeah. Yeah. In San Diego. That's where <laughs> I was doing. Um, okay. <laughs> I had every kind of job you can imagine. Yeah, and me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The closer I got to doing design work using my brain, using my creativity, the more I can separate myself from just pure muscle and, and labor, uh, I, I found more fulfillment. And so it started to lead me down a path. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's really great to know this and it's important for people to know that because you need perspective. You know, when Chris is saying these things, it's important for you to understand where he's coming from. And it's good for me to know as well, because yeah, it's interesting to hear that you've gone through therapy as well. And also I had the same kind of, well, not nearly, I can't imagine what your, your upbringing was, but I had a very humble beginning, if I could say the least. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking every job that you can and, and having to 
lay the bricks and all that kind of stuff and having to do the the manual labor and how difficult it is and how much I didn't want to do that and how much uh, I had a fight against that and the thing that changed me ultimately was like my desire for things you know like um, as uh, like you mentioned selfishly and also like just kind of um, it's so trivial to want things, right? But it's at like the same materialistic, time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like exactly. I wanted a cool BMX bike or sure a Walkman. You know, remember back in the Walkman? Yeah, of course. Or the portable CD player that was way ahead of you know it was the Walkman. It was a cassette tape player. Yeah. So that that's what it was about. <laughs> We're aging ourselves here, but it's it's right? true though. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's you know it's it's something that you know for me even like I, I just recently bought um, an NSX and last year I believe and it was more or less fulfilling that desire of the insecure kid that didn't have much at all growing up, you know? And hey, first I got to say, congratulations. You bought an NSX. Did yeah, you buy you. the new one or vintage? The original one. Yeah. Original. That's beautiful. the one. That's the real one for me. Yeah, I, mean, I understand. I yeah. just asked. Yeah. Are you a car person? You know, um, so, okay, look, I don't, I don't know how old you are, but I, I guess we must be, okay. Oh, I'm a lot older than you. I'm 44. Okay. Okay. But I remember, uh, going to tower records and then buying a poster and I bought a poster of two cars, uh, a, a Porsche, a 911 turbo. Nice. And a, a black uh, Countach, like Lamborghini Countach. And I put it up in my room. Yeah. And I know all the guys uh, at school, this is like junior high, high school. They'd always talk about how many cylinders and how, you know, whatever, all these specs and horsepower. <laughs> I didn't really care. I just looked at them like sculptures. Yes. That's these what they are, are beautiful classic cars. And, I told my wife someday I'm going to buy a Lambo just because I need to fulfill that part. And you can call it a midlife crisis, but yeah, I just is, yeah. like now I'm in a place where I actually can do that, but I don't, I feel like it's irresponsible. So I'm still wrestling with that part of my mind. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that there's a real difficult thing that happens when you become successful in some capacity where you feel like there's a really interesting documentary that you probably really relate to and, and, and appreciate. It's called a, um, it's about Todd McFarland. It's called the devil, you know, if you just type that in on Google, I can, send you a link. But, um, what has happened for him and it's similar to a lot of people is when you come from nothing and then you start to build it and then you start to figure out like, Oh, my success isn't this anymore. It's about like a, a material thing, you know, like right. and I won't spoil it for you, but it's interesting because yeah, when you look at cars, that's how beautiful the car design is, is because you look at it as that's a piece of art. Some people look at it. That's a piece of numbers. Some people right. say that's an experience, you know, for mm -hmm. me, it's like all of the above. It's like a piece of art. I machinery like all those things combine into one thing but it also nourishes that insecure child inside of me that's like you're doing okay and you can do this and I grew up thinking and everybody around me told me like if you're gonna do art you're gonna starve you're gonna suffer because my whole family was way better than I was at art mm. especially mm -hmm. as a kid and they they couldn't make it and so I would always think like man if I'm gonna do this like I'm gonna suck and so it makes me work like people always say like, why you work so freaking hard? Like, how is it? And I think it's a, I think probably, probably should go to therapy now. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, probably, I think there's some kindership that happens between us, you know? So, and I've yeah. been, I've been, uh, insulted for like working too hard or even like, um, just, just how I work, you know, it's just like putting in that much work and effort and, and outshining everybody as much as I can. Not, not intentionally. It's just what happens, you know, when you work really hard based on fear or whatever. But the, you, you mentioned something in the past where you're saying like the fear of losing it all. I think that's a very relevant thing. And have you kind of gone deeper into that and, and with your therapist and kind of figured out like, you know, how to deal with that? Cause that's coming from a fear based um, place and you can never fulfill that. It's like a dark passenger. Right. 
Um, so the interesting thing is she was trying to help me. She's a family therapist. And so she's trying to help me understand how your birth order, how your family structure, all those things impact who you are and to kind of bring awareness to that. So she's saying like sometimes, cause I was talking about how my dad, I, like, I can't even take him to a fancy restaurant or I try to give him something. And he feels really weird about it. Yeah. So I said, dad, you're no fun. Where's my mom? I can buy her stuff and she's happy. Or we go do experiences together. And, and she's like, you're paying. She's happy. She hugs me. She thinks, okay, my son works hard. I'm proud of you. But yeah. my dad just can't enjoy it. And it's just this kind of the weight of the of the family has been thrusted upon his shoulders. Yeah. And so he can't enjoy money. I have no problems with that. I have no fear of losing it all because my whole feeling is I come from nothing. If we go back to it, it's a place I already know. Hmm. And so you really I, comfortable with that. I am. I really am. And I talk to my wife about this all the time. That's tough, now, she, oddly enough, comes from an upper middle class family and her family's had money for the most part in terms of like her childhood. Mm. Her, her dad was a military pilot and then became a commercial pilot. So they lived really well. But her whole thing is all these things, it reminds her of home, safety, uh, having a certain number in a bank account or having a home because she told me before if you really love me make sure you buy us a home because i can i'm gonna feel comfortable in that so mm. when we did that she's trying to figure out her next thing but for me <laughs> I'm, I'm trying a new venture or i i'm pushing what i thought was the boundaries and i don't even care about money i don't know what's in our bank account i don't care about any of this stuff I really don't. And every time I ask her, let's make this risky decision. During the recession in 2007, we were hiring. Mm. Not a good decision, but we were hiring. Because it was the one time where I thought, man, every time we want to hire somebody, we can't do it because the job market is so competitive. They don't want to be hired. It costs too much money. So of course, 2007 hits. We're in the, the beginning of the recession, 2008, right? And it's getting really dark. And I told my business uh, advisor, business coach, I said, I'm gonna hire people. He's like, you're a little crazy, but you have that right to do that. I have some money, let's do it. Yeah. Hired three or four people and it was painful. Oh my God, it was painful. Cause I was thinking, I can't let these people go now. I just hired yeah. them. Yes. And so, so I went through that. So when, when people are, yeah. right. So when people were uh, zigging, I'm zagging. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually comfortable with that. And it's actually part of the dynamic, if you believe it or not. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so sense. Some people yeah. Inherit from their parents and then some people react against it and just being aware of it all. Yes. So she was just trying to help me understand my parents. And so like, Hey, slow down. She says, you're a runner, your wife, your dad, they're walkers. So the gap between you is where the friction is. Hmm. So if they walk a little faster and you run a little slower, like a, a good brisk walk or, or a slow jog, everybody gets along hmm. because I'm always trying out new things, right? Launching companies, try that. That didn't work. I'm going to try this. It doesn't matter to me. Hmm. And I have this fundamental belief in self. Wipe it all away. Take it all away. I'll rebuild it. I'll rebuild it just faster. It doesn't matter. Put me hmm. anywhere. Uh, and, and that's why I've always been able to go out on my own, uh, go buy a building or do whatever it is I need to do and say, you know what, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, I'm, I'm going to be jobless? No, I'll go get a job somewhere. That's always like the parachute. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I'll work in corporate. I'll do whatever. Or you'll build your own job. At this point, you understand how to design that. So, yeah. Right. So you know the the, the fabric and the, the formula, basically. Because once you understand that formula, if you go from being a fry cooker at Arby's to yes. running your own company, you know the difference between that, you know, and you understand it. And therefore, you probably could do whatever you wanted because you can manifest, you know, and that's really the core. The The analogy of walking and running is beautiful. I think that's great because I, I have that with my wife as well. I'm constantly sprinting. I know? see that. 
Yeah. <laughs> and my, <laughs> but my wife's like, and, and everybody I know is like, dude, chill out, man. Like just right. calm down. Even like very t- close, high, you know, um, business partners and stuff. They're just like, you know, you need to chill out, dude. You know, like, well, why are you running so, so hard, you know? And I think it's a lot of it's fear-based, you know? So that's, it's, it's mm. really, it's good to know this though too. And I think eventually if I don't burn out, I'll, I will end up learning how to jog and walk as well, you know? And I think when life is best is when you're doing a nice blend between the two. Unfortunately for extreme people like ourselves, life is usually in the middle, you know? Right. You know, that is the way it is, right? So it is. It's a bit of both. A, yeah. There's that whole idea of grading on on the curve that the um, schools are set up for the median. You know, they want to get everybody to the middle, and people on both ends of the spectrum uh, are often misunderstood. Yes. So people who are high performing, high function, or work at a particular speed are looked at like, oh, you're you're being overzealous. You're a workaholic. They put all these kind of labels and terms on it. And in some instances, it's true. Yes. I suspect it's not with you or me or some of the people that are listening to this. Where my normal is, this is just my normal. This is and my true. Wife, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll give you uh, a sense of our relationship. You you may or may not be able to relate to this. Uh, I think she was dealing with, um, she has a kind of a side hobby she makes of kind of gourmet Rice Krispie treats and she gets an order and she's kind of stressed out over. I'm like, honey, you work for yourself and you're baking goods and really, and you're stressed out. And she goes, yeah, I got too many orders. And, and then she sees like one little nugget of the stressful situation that my, I'm in. And she's like, how do you? How do you even process all this? I'm yeah. like, process what? Stress. I'm like, that's not stressful. None of it. This yeah, is like, I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. Yeah. That's not, I'll tell you stressful. It's yeah. this other thing. But our tolerance for risk, yes. for work, for stress, for grinding, for, you know, uh, uh, even for like not running on little sleep, it doesn't, none of that matters. None of that impacts me. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, l- I was looking forward to having this conversation with you where, other people might be sweating right now thinking, oh, my God, I'm going to get on Ash Thorpe's podcast. What do I say? What do I do? Hmm. You know, but I've been looking forward to this conversation for actually quite some time. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited about this. We've been working on trying to get this episode. And that's right. it's really interesting. And I think that's interesting that we've kind of married into uh, relationships with, that are quite contrarian, you know, and how we've stuck with it. And that's, you know, like, you know, I take marriage quite seriously. And when you make that vow, it's, you do your best through the thick and the thin to stick with it as best you can. Um, I can't judge anybody if they don't work out and whatever it is, what it is, you know, it's not my, like the one thing I learned about life too is you really can't judge. (laughs) Unfortunately, you can't as much as you want to, as much as your, your mind wants to, you just can't, you just have to kind of accept the world around you for being what it is and the reality and perception is your perfection, you know, and how you perceive the reality around you, just as we did in the beginning of this conversation, how we were, you know, having to deal with the perception around us, just the negative energy of the world right now, but right. Changing that, you know, changing that we got to be the change, you know, and and constantly trying to be. So it's really interesting though. Yeah. I think, I think the level threshold on stress is really quite interesting. How do you how do you adjust and, and, and it, has it come with time, like dealing with the pressures? And I, I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about the pressures of hiring people and, mm. and all that very interesting dynamic, because it takes a very certain type of person to take that responsibility on. And I don't think a lot of people give that, give credit to that because that's a huge burden. It's very, very tricky. Of course, people right. can say like, oh, you get paid for them and blah, blah, blah. So who cares? You know, but no, it's different. It's a very different thing. 
Um, people right. that aren't in those shoes, it's easy to quick and quick to judge when they're not the boss, you know? So mm-hmm. now in, in case somebody's listening to this later, I just want to give them context. Today's November 9th in case you guys yes. don't know what we're talking about here and we don't want to get too far into that. No. Right. But today's November 9th and I, I do want to uh, just jump on top of what you just said in terms of judging as judging as I may appear to be and as opinionated as I am and sometimes controversial in the things I say, I, I feel like I've got no uh, divine right on the truth that you and I may disagree about a hundred other things and that's your prerogative and yes. and we can have a, a, an informed, uh, smart, spirited conversation about it. Sometimes the things you say may shape me and sometimes I may shape you, but I don't feel like I've got a right on the truth. And so mm. I feel like, you know what? There can be a hundred people, there could be a hundred truths. I, you know, I, I was raised Catholic, but I'm, I'm no longer practicing Catholic, you know, but I think Maybe I'm right. Maybe you're right. Maybe your God is the right guy. I don't know. Who knows? And so I don't want to have that arrogance to say that my way is the way. And I had to kind of just sit back and it's like my way is the way for me. Yes. And it works for me. And if it works for somebody else, I'm happy to share. But otherwise, I I feel like we all have to come to our own truth and our own realization. It's beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Getting into stress. Let's talk about stress. Yeah, let's talk about stress and dealing with it as a creative Mm -hmm. person and as a business runner. Yeah. How how, How do you deal with that? Okay, so first, uh, I just want to talk a little bit about stress and what causes stress. And I think it's the feeling of loss of control, mm. loss of progress. And there have been a couple of times in my life when that's at a very high point. Um, relating back to like when we were in junior high, my brother and I, we took a bus to my cousin's house and it's quite far away. And instead of sitting on the bus, we got off the bus because we we're thinking, you know what? I think it's just around the corner. And we got off in the wrong spot. And we were thinking, one person was saying it's left, one person saying right. And the farther we went, the less likely we were to return back to the bus stop. So we took ourselves hours away from where we needed to be. And I gotta tell you, that was stressful. Sitting in a car in LA on the 405 or on the 10 freeway, Hmm. 30 minutes late to the thing that you left for an hour and a half earlier, that's stressful for a piece of new business. Mm -hmm. Most of what I do in business, I don't consider it stressful because I actually have lots of control. And the first thing that uh, my business coach taught me was, uh, he says, you, there's no uh, victims, there's just volunteers. So when you sit around and you feel like you're a victim to your circumstance, the situation, to whatever else is going on, you have to take responsibility for mm. why you're there and why you're still there and what decisions you're making to perpetuate this. So it's easy for me to come to him, it's like, oh man, my executive producer, my creative director, there's just such a pain in the butt. Then he would smile, listen, and he said, well, who hired those people? Mm. Oh, that would be you. (laughs) And so who's not happy? That would be you. So you can choose to be happy, you can choose to change, or you can choose to get rid of them. But those are all your choices. And so each time he would kind of turn the the mirror, the, the parabolic lens back on me, it would bounce right back in my face. So Good. after a while, you start to learn. Don't learn complain. to look. Yeah. You know, don't complain. Because if yeah. you complain, it's going to come right back in your face. It's true. And, so, and that's, a, that's some really amazing feedback that he's giving you because it's a very relevant feedback thing too. And something that most people don't want to hear is that they're the cause of their own problems. I always say that, you know, you're the one thing that's getting in the way of you, you know? Right. Oh yeah. man, we have similar sayings too. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I learned that actually. Um, I can't. I'm I'm bad with quotes, but I learned that from Bruce Lee actually. 
Mm. Um, he's a big mentor of mine, even though I've never met him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but well, I, he's a philosophy major. Did you know that? Yes, yes. Yeah. I've studied him quite a bit because he's okay. an incredible human being. You know, there's a couple of people on this earth that I hadn't met that I'm so sad I hadn't. Which Bruce is one of them. Carl Sagan's another. There's many others. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a, he had that same thing. It's like you are the one that gets in the way of you, you know, so be uh, aware of that. And I think the self-awareness is really the key. You sound to be very self-aware, which is beautiful because I think a lot of times, um, anytime I make a stupid statement or I say something quite dumb or crass is because I am not self-aware. And I think the, 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 the enlightened person is, is self-aware and it's good that you have a, uh, you're a business coach. So this is really interesting dynamic for you. So how did this business coach dynamic come about? How did you find this person? Are you, uh, is it like a mentorship kind of thing or is he on your payroll? How does that work for you? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I can cite three or four things in my life that comprise of the things that I know, one quarter at least, uh, maybe not proportionate, but one of the four parts is having my business coach, his name is Kier. It is somebody that I pay money to to teach me and I've been working with him for over 10 years. Mm. Our relationship has evolved less from um, master student, teacher student, to being partners in business and doing other things together. But for at least a period of 10 years, he would come to my office once a week and we'd sit and we'd talk for sometimes an hour and a half to sometimes several hours. Hmm. And I would just, you know, there was no, never an agenda. If you think of a therapist, uh, instead of you going to them, this person comes to you and we talk instead of dealing with just relationship things, maybe this is business relationships or sales or having that kind of business mindset. And Hmm. I found out about him through a mutual friend who was also one of his clients. So he was, we're having lunch and we talk and he tells me about how his business is going great and my ears perked up and he said he hired his business coach. So of course I get the phone number and I'm working with him the next day. (laughs) You know, that's the story, but that's pretty much how it happened. Yeah, no, it's very smart. He's helped me grow personally. He's, he's helped me grow in my, uh, relationship with my wife, but not only that, but of course the business stuff. And so I've told this story before and I'll say it for your listeners is that this is like in the early 2000s and we're doing okay, but we seem to hit a ceiling and we're doing about $2.2 million a year in terms of revenue. This is before the proliferation of motion design studios on every street corner. Yeah. Talking about there are maybe a dozen or so credible motion design firms in the country that you, that we would bid it against. And that was it. Yeah. I knew them all. Uh, either personally or just people through, you know, it's like, it's not that I, I didn't meet any of these people. So that first year he worked with us, we were, we went from 2.2, which we couldn't seem to get past 2224 yeah. to $3.8 million. So in that first year, he helped me to, to change and to grow. Yeah. And it wasn't that he found us a client or put no. together a killer sales plan. He just told us that our approach to pitching business was all wrong. Mm, yeah. So he started to help me understand what the pitch process was like, even though he's never pitched and he doesn't do what we do. Sure. It's fundamentals though, is what you're getting at, which is important. And he has an outside perspective, which is sometimes we need because a lot of times when people are just looking at themselves and they're kind of inundated with their saturation, they can't see outside perspective. And it's actually, it's quite genius actually, and really smart. And it's really cool to hear that you've gone that far. And I love how transparent you are too, which is just shows your confidence, which is great as well too, which is 
yeah, it's just kind of a thing that I try to be as, as much as I can. People ask mm-hmm. me what I charge, how I charge, all that stuff. I'm very transparent about it because there's, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to, you know? So, um, because I think also that kind of information needs to be shared when we talk about, um, the very sensitive subject that I'm sure a lot of people get up in arms about, it's just like, you know, the cost of things and, and being an artist and charging for things. And, you know, all these, like those faux pas that exist in this thing, it's really interesting because it needs, you need to have both again, to talk about being gray, there's the black side and the white side of things. And then the gray is the, is the blend between it's the balance of the yin and yang, you know, and I think you need to have that, especially as an artist and especially as anybody that exists in this world, you should under, have a good understanding of all these different pieces. And unfortunately, and fortunately you need to, in order to, uh, to, to thrive and like what Chris is doing here. Like, I think it's, I think it's really interesting having like a mentor, from an outside perspective, give you advice in order to help you achieve whatever goal it might be. So one question I have for you is what's enough for you? Like, what is, do you have, is there a, a, a goal in sight that you have? Like, okay, I want this, I want X amount in the, in the, in the, the bank account. I want to own this property. I want to have this thing and this picture perfect uh, <coughs> life basic on your own um, parameters. Is there something like that exists for you? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that there is. Now, I have a financial advisor who's different than my business coach, and I asked him, how much longer do I need to work to never have to work again in my life? <laughs> I didn't okay. too. <laughs> right, so I asked yeah. that question, yeah. and he smiles at me. My wife's always a little concerned. And his name is John, and my wife will say, John, don't tell him what he wants to hear. And she, <laughs> she, she's like, she wants me to work. and. Yeah. He looks at me and says, given how you guys spend money, which is not a lot relative to the money you make, yeah. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesse, my wife, you're not going to want to hear this, but you can retire right now. <laughs> That's so awesome. Said, okay. <laughs> so really, the rest of this is just for fun then, right? Bonus round. So, yeah. yeah I, I don't work for for money. Good for I you, really man. Don't. That's awesome. And it, it may seem like that because uh, if you've watched our show before on YouTube, mm. uh, the character I play is a guy who's about money and Jose likes to paint me into that corner, sure. my, my co-host. And, but that's not really what I'm about. Mm. Uh, I, I want to provide for my family. So I want to take care of my wife. I want to take care of my kids. And they're already taken care of. Uh, I created a college tuition fund. They're, they're both ready to go. We've been contributing to it since the day they were born. Mm. So it's really the same thing. Yeah. Right. Mm. I was like, you know what, you guys? Uh, from now until when you graduate college, you're, you guys are covered. After that, you're on your own, kids. You mm. need to figure it out in life. It's not because I don't want to help you, but because I don't want to hurt you by thinking, letting you think that there's a cushy thing for you to do afterwards. There's no backup plan. You got to make it on your own because I want that for you. Okay, so we got that taken care of. So the situation now is, uh, what am I going to do with my time? And I've been thinking a lot about this. And I made this mistake, and I've confessed this to people before. That I used to wake up every morning to think, how much more money do I have to make? How many more days do I need to work yeah. in order to retire? Now, that's really not a, a mission. That's not really about getting fulfillment. Mm-hmm. That's just thinking about how long do I have to work to not to work anymore? Yeah. And it, it may be the fantasy of a lot of designers, a lot of creative people. Like, I want to be my own man, you know? But that's not really it. And I've really now found what it is that's my purpose, to something that drives me, that'll keep me going until I'm dead. And that really is, and and uh, if you forgive me here a little bit, if you just go with me, please. it's go. like, there's this idea that I was at the right place at the right time, and I was able to capitalize on it, and I've made more money than I have a right to make. So this idea of like uh, wanting to be a millionaire wasn't enough for me. I actually, I wanna be a billionaire. and. 
I've said this before. I don't want to be a billionaire in terms of like numbers you measure in a bank account, but in, in terms of lives I've touched for the better in a mm. positive way. Mm. And that's not an original idea. That's from Jason Silva, Mr. Flow from the Discovery Channel. You know, he talks about the new billionaire is the person who's going to impact a billion lives in a positive direction. Mm. People like Zuckerberg who've made gazillion dollars, who have pledged to give 99% of his income away. Mm. That to me is the new billionaire. And yeah. that's a thing to aspire towards. Yeah, because there's there's a point where I, I believe I haven't gotten there yet, but there's a point where you get with money where um, you understand how to attract it, where it be, it loses its charm, right? And right. it loses its power. And a lot of people I found that become wealthy become this weird, sycophantic, weird kind of facade piece of a shell of a human being, you know. And I think that comes from their lack of understanding, imagination of where to go next. And you're right. And Jason Silva says some very profound thing. He's a very interesting guy. I've been talking with him every once in a while through emails. Mm. I'd love to get him on the show. He's got such an amazing energy. But yeah, the idea that, you know, a billionaire is a pro, is, is about affecting people in a positive way in some kind of capacity. But the thing I really admire about you is you're not afraid to create the controversy in order to shake things up and to get to people thinking, you know, I see what you're doing and I find it really interesting. Cause I'm like the people, I mean, I, even on the, let's say the motionographer, how many up people got up in arms in the commentary, you know? Oh, like, yeah. that's, but I said, that's great though, because you know, sometimes people need to say this shit, you know, like it needs to be said because people need to question like what it is that they're doing and also question you and you need to be questioning yourself and constantly be, be aware of your values and where they come from and getting different perspectives. Because when you do that, when you drop something out on this thing called the internet, it's pretty amazing that mm -hmm. you get this in interesting impact on your lens of reality, you know, and, and, and your ability to take that in or remove it because it's really difficult, right? How to discern which from what, you know, one thing I want to talk to you about is you mentioned your children. And I think it's really interesting as, you know, first generation from an, an Im immigration from Vietnam to having your kids as second generation here in America. That's, that's right. Is that right? I'm not sure. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. But you have just, you know, like there's that, one of my favorite films is catch me if you can. And, and, and his dad talks about, have you seen that film? Yes, of course, many and the, times. And the, and the mice, you know, one, yep. two mice in the jar and they're, they're stuck in milk. And then they, one just kicks until it turns into cream and crawls out. The other one drowns. Um, and I think that, you know, I have this struggle all the time with our daughter. It's like I came from just nothing really, you know, mm -hmm. single mom, you know, welfare. She broke mm -hmm. her back. It was like I would, I would help with the bills just for my paper route as a kid, you know, like financial burden at a very young age. Um, but, I think it, it's very interesting. I, I have I fight with it all the time with our daughter because she just has so much. She has abundance, so much that she can't even take care of what she has. And that could also be uh, my lack of good parenting as well, too. But how do you deal with that? Do you do you fight that? Do you struggle with that? Giving your kids everything when you didn't have much? Do you feel like you're doing them a disservice? You think they're going to be great, strong people? How do you deal? That's that's a big problem for me. That's a big question, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's a gigantic question. Yeah. I have to kind of think about this because somebody had challenged me before and relating to this very topic. He's mm -hmm. like, if you don't believe in education anymore, how are you educating your kids? I'm like, shoot, don't yeah, call me true. out on my stuff. Yeah, you know? no, it's don't call good. me out. That's good. Challenge me like that. <laughs> so let's talk about money. My kids have every, I mean, uh, we we're just talking about it. Like my wife's like, we're going to buy him the new iPhone. I'm like, that's 700 bucks for his birthday <laughs> and for Christmas. You know yeah. what I got? I got a, like a laser gun for $39. Are you kidding me? Like yeah. how has everything changed? It's changed. But then yeah. there's this idea that 
especially when you don't have much money has a certain power it becomes a thing it becomes a resource to cherish to hold on to and it's it's a weird thing to me money is like water it's like air it's like the grass that grows on your lawn it's it's infinitely replenishable and renewable it's nothing to cherish to worship to fear to crave or to desire i wanted to make it a nothing and I have to kind of be careful because I have the maturity to look at it that way. Hmm. And I'm sometimes concerned about my kids, but we have. Because they don't. <laughs> they don't. Yes. They're like, let's buy this. I'm like, you guys paid for full price and you did zero research. Uh, so you can spend your money on it. Yeah. And I often pull that on them to say like, okay, how much did that cost? And so how long will that take you to earn? And hmm. we're, we're trying to develop some relationship. <clears throat> for them. But I also don't want to artificially punish or create a weird association with money that I don't want them to have because I want them to be fearless in life. Yes. There's another thing that I'm sure you have a problem with as well. If you're somewhat similar to me is that as a kid, when you ate food, you sat down to eat, you eat everything on the plate because you're not sure what the next one is. And as we are growing up and we're successful and our families have abundance of food uh, and all that kind of stuff, it's like, um, one thing I would do in the beginning, my wife was like, you sh- we have to stop doing that. We're going to turn her into a, somebody that's obese or give her some kind of problem. Cause every time she would sit to eat, I'd be like, eat everything on your plate, you know, like, and it was this weird thing when she said, you know, don't do that. My wife is uh, constantly helping me mm-hmm. be a better person. And, um, from then I was like, you know what, I'm going to serve you on a smaller plate and give you smaller servings. So I, I feel okay that yeah. you're in, and then and then I'm not going to force you to eat all the food you know because when yeah when I grew up it was like if you don't eat the food that's in front of you you're not sure when the next one's coming you know right like, and it wasn't I don't want to make it sound like my my childhood is horrible it was filled mm-hmm. with love that's the the key thing that was filled with experience and travel and just crazy experiences but that was one thing I had a problem with did you do you have the same thing with food I mean did you grow up I with have like the exact that same thing it's funny how uh, it, we're, we're talking across the internet, but I could be talking to myself right now. Yeah. My, our thing wasn't so much that we didn't have food, hmm. but it was this idea of waste. Yeah. Oh, I have a big like, problem with it's that. It's just like biggest sin. Like don't it's, waste. So it turns yes. you into a hoarder. It turns you into a lot of different things, yes. right? Yes. So you have to kind of be aware of that. My, my, I have the way I handle that with my kids is this, is to say, you put whatever you want on your plate. That's about responsibility, about gauging your own appetite, all these. I'm not going to put it on there for you. You put whatever. So if we go and we travel. We go to uh, some kind of buffet restaurant, which often happens in a, in a hotel. I say, you can take whatever you want, but what you take, you got to eat. Because I don't want you to take it and take, yes. uh, you know, and you don't like it. And then, or you take too much. If you, I want you to try new things. So if you bite into something you've never had before and you don't like it, you don't have to eat that. That's totally okay. Yeah. But if you take like four portions of a, uh, you know, whatever, uh, ice cream, you got to eat those four portions because yes. you knew what you're getting into. Oh yeah. We've had interesting events at Sioux Plantation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, yeah. Like, oh, you have to sit here and eat that whole thing. And just like, oh, being the bad guy, you know? There. Yeah. But I, I lessons I, I though, I lessons think, in life. I, I, I think you're a pretty fit guy, aren't you? Yeah, I try to. Yeah. I was in jujitsu yeah, last night. Way. So yeah. So maybe that concept of eating everything on your plate isn't really, it's about uh, maybe how you manage it. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the eating everything on your plate is, is, uh, it's a big problem. Yeah. I think that's a big problem, but it's actually tied to that. So I just, I I find it interesting. I'm taking, I'm soaking up all this stuff. I, I I grew up without a dad, so I didn't have a, um, a father figure. And so as I navigate becoming a parent, I'm constantly, um, trying to figure out who is this guy? You know, I'm the closest thing I had to a parent or to an older um, male in my life was my older brother. 
who thought it was awesome just to torture me at all times, you know, like <laughs> he got enjoyment of just like torturing me and he hated me, mm-hmm. you know, because <laughs> I was the one that took all the attention from everybody, from him and, and right, stuff. So right. yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting though, but I, I have that quorum in that problem with my, with my daughter too. And it's constantly like, I'm, it's the one thing that I'm constantly learning and I'm like, damn, this is, so, I could be so, I could just stay in my office and shred. I could kill it in here. But when I go out, it's like, this is very tough, you know, like having to navigate this, you know, and, Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I figured I wasn't sure if you if you shared that same thing. So yeah, for sure. You know, the thing that you can do, and this is the thing that helps me out a lot, is whenever something bad happens, I think we can react or we can stop for a moment and say, you know what? I believe this is a learning opportunity. It's a mm-hmm. learning opportunity not only for my kids or my wife, but for me. Yeah. I want to sit here and think about this. I don't want to just react. Yeah, so I'll give you an example. Great. Here's here's an example from my life, right? Because you're you're navigating these uh, these waters without like a great guide. You're kind of writing the manual as you go. Is I came home one day, my wife gives me a look. She's like, you know, oh, you got to see this. I'm like, oh shoot, <laughs> I, I'm looking to decompress here. I don't I'm not really looking for another thing to deal with. And she shows me. And she's like, did you see this? I'm like, no. It's his report card on on a test he took for Latin. I'm like, really? And I have two boys, and he's 13 now. But shows me, and he's he's like he got twelve. I'm like twelve what? Twelve out of fifteen? She goes, no, no, twelve percent. Oh, oh my god, twelve <laughs> percent. Like that, I, I would like seriously. Uh, if it was me growing up, I would might as well pack my bags and leave home. That is unacceptable. <laughs> like fifty percent is unacceptable. So twelve. Yeah. And I was like, shoot, oh my god. And he's a really bright kid. He mm. really is. Most bright kids are like that, though. Yeah. Well, you know, he. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm a proud parent. Like, he's in a school for gifted kids. He had to get tested into it. Right? Awesome. So he's a really smart kid, and I was like, "Shoot, what do I do?" And I, I, I kind of step outside, and I, I do this in a in a weird way, and I don't want your your fans to freak out, but I try to have this weird outer body experience and look at myself, good. talking to my wife, and try to understand what's the situation. She's she doesn't know what to do. She can't yell at him. I mean, how do you fix this situation? So here's what I said to her. And I snapped back into my body. I'm like, okay. After you get past all the emotional, the knee-jerk reaction, I said to her, is it important for you how he does in school? She's like, no. Because we're both creatives. We're both designers. We don't care about school. We don't yeah. care grades. We don't care if he becomes any. It doesn't. You do whatever you want that makes you happy. So she's like, no. So why does it matter to you so much? Well, he needs to apply himself. This is about, I said, well, let me ask you something. He picked to study Latin. He's 13, he's 12 years old. Do you speak any Latin? She's like, no, I don't either. So basically he got 12 more words than we did. Hmm. Maybe we need to understand it like that. And instead of punishing him, instead of just beating down on him, so it, it takes the fun, the love of learning and trying new things away from him, let's give the boy some space. Let him do his thing. She's like, uh, and it messed my wife up. <laughs> she wanted to be angry. It really yeah, just yeah, like, of course she did. Yeah. Speechless, right? And she's not one short for words. So, and then I go to see my boy and I say, like, hey, buddy, I saw that you did 12 and, you know, I think we can do a little bit better, but uh, let's just work on that. That's all I did. It wasn't an angry thing. And I said, mom wanted me to talk to you and we had our talk. Okay. Keep it up, buddy. I left. And you know what? He got a hundred percent on his lap. <laughs> that's, his, wow, that's crazy. Right? So he made this what whole a lesson. art. You know what it was? 
It was about finding the right teacher for him. Mm. Well, that's everything. <laughs> that's yeah. everything. Yeah, it is, isn't yeah. it? Isn't it? Yes. But if we had pounded that out of him, if we shorted him that opportunity to love to learn, mm. it, way it's damaging. Like, yeah, yeah, it's totally damaging. And he's a crazy, overachieving, high-performing kid. He could have picked Spanish, which they're already learning. He could have picked another language, that, but he wanted to be like an academic. He wanted to learn Latin because it's the root of words. Yeah. Hmm. What a nut job. I don't yeah. want, I want to support that craziness, you know? No, it's good. Yeah, that's beautiful. What a really, you've said a lot of interesting things there. I, th- I find to be very amazing and I think it's really great. What you're talking about is, re- is, you know, instant reactions is like the lizard brain. You know, it's like going into that primitive, you know, fight or flight mode, um, which I find myself having a struggle i hopefully you know from years to come if i ever listen i never listen to the episodes again usually rarely ever because uh, i'm ashamed what i say most of the time because <laughs> i you know please don't judge me people i've had people like comment on me from like three years ago at episode i'm like i can't even say who i was then so but um uh, I, I hope that in the future I can look back at this and go like, oh yeah, I'm much more advanced beyond that, you know, and I hope I can get to the point where you are, where you can freeze time and distort reality and kind of go into your own kind of mind and collect yourself. And because you did, I think the, probably the best reaction that you could to that situation, the knee jerk reaction is like, he has to do better and we must do better. And then the, but the, right. the, the, the smart, I think the, the well thought and methodical person is, is, let's analyze this. Why, why, why is this, you know, why are we doing it? And I feel like it's really interesting that you're doing that. I think that's awesome. Did, could well, you define smart for me? Cause you mentioned smart. I think this is really interesting. We're going to get into our education next, but I'm really curious okay. about what your thoughts are on smart, because I think that's a, um, that's a very interesting word that's used a lot. And I feel like it has many different meanings like love. Right. So I'm going to give the, the present Ash, some tips and the future ash hopefully if you look back please please so and i want to i want to give your audience a little confession okay i grew up super awkward and weird i'm I'm not saying i've grown out of that but just to give people context and i'll tell you how awkward and weird i am okay Uh, like i played dungeons and dragons playing video games reading comic books great uh, for um, you know being teased and i'm like i don't even know what this is and being picked on by bullies you know yeah Uh, we moved around a lot we moved around a lot. That meant new friends, new enemies, and it's going to be rough every single year. How often and did you move around? Within, uh, I would say, about seven or eight years, we moved four times. So okay. I could never get my bearings. We moved around a lot. I did the same, maybe about six or seven, though. Yeah. Okay, every, so every year. More. Yeah. yeah, so it was rough, man. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> during that age, you just want to, you want to be invisible. I don't even want to be popular. I just want to be like, just leave me alone. Don't let me be the new guy, please. Yes, And same. getting into fist fights and, and just like being, pe- people picking on me and trying to, to break me in yeah. any which it's way. It's like they prison, want. right? Isn't it weird? It is. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst, man. Boys are terrible. Let's they just say are, that. yeah. In right. Hawaii, too, you're not, oh, re- like when you're, when you're a white kid, they hate you because <laughs> you're okay. like the brunt, you know, like you're just like a, yeah. there, there's this weird <laughs> hidden racism. <laughs> maybe it's not even that hidden all right well so, yeah it's still it's it's out there of course you right? know? yeah but it's so yeah i, I, I am you but just the opposite like yeah, uh, it's interesting I'm, I'm the asian kid in a white neighborhood and we went from <laughs> a predominantly minority neighborhood of course where it's like lower income mm. you know when kids are really tough the rugged to like yeah. now we're in a mostly white community and i'm like one of six asian kids and we've moved up uh you know the social economic ladder and i'm going to school and people are like oh, what are you like what do you eat it's it was that weird oh, yeah. <laughs> okay so then i kind of inverted 
I just moved into myself and my own mind. And I always dreaded talking to people. I look at the floor. Yeah, I don't want, I, like people would say, hey, how's it going? I didn't know how to respond to that. So I'm super awkward and weird. Hmm. But there is a silver lining to all of this. And I think it's part of what makes me me. And I suspect it's what makes you you. I was reading an article on this about resilience as a per, as a, a measure of self-confidence i like this article i think i've read okay. the same thing yeah was it in the in, in uh, time time magazine or i something? believe so it's an older yeah, article that article just spoke to me i'm like that's my life yeah oh my no, god same yeah they talked about orphans and how more of them turn out stronger yes. and successful than you would imagine so i looked at it like back then as as a person who you know you want to wallow in your own self-pity you think, oh God, it's so horrible. My parents move around all the time. But actually, it made me really tolerant to change. Yes. And and if I, I crawled inside my own brain and started to figure out what is it that I'm thinking? Because I'm not talking to anybody right now. Who am I talking to? So the human mind is such an amazing adaptive thing. Yes. It can adapt to anything. And it depends on who's driving that mind. But you and I, we became stronger, we became tougher, and we started to figure things out. You have right? to. Other yeah. people break. So yeah. there's always that part. So I don't want to belittle anybody that's gone through a really tough situation, but it really lets you figure out who you are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, what it does is it helps you test the parameters of your own reality, you know, and it makes you um, analyze what it is around you and how you can perceive that and also go past it, you know? So, right. yeah, I mean, as growing up, it's very tough, you know, like having the, the fist fights and having to, I didn't want that either. You know, all I wanted to do is hang out and draw and read comics. I was awkward too. Very shy that you mentioned shy. And that's something I wrote yes. down here. Um, because you don't seem shy anymore. And I'm the same way. I was very shy growing up too. It was like, I, yeah, head down. I don't want, I mean, unless I'm around somebody I know, but for the most part, I wouldn't right. engage in conversation with people because I just didn't have the confidence or want to because I right. didn't care to. So, but now you're not, you're not shy. You run a company, you're constantly on the internet, which is, can be incredibly challenging for most people because the mm -hmm. internet is so savage, you know, and you're out there yeah, kind yeah. of, so how did you get past being that shy person, that shy kid? Okay. I'm going to, I'm making some notes here cause we're talking, we're touching on so many different things. I wrote down smart is going to be another thing too. Okay, we'll smart, education. I won't I, forget. I, I want to so. give you some tips, right? So yes. in that situation with my, my young boy, there, I could react. Uh, I could feel like, how do I want to process this? I, I could try and console my wife or I can fight with her and say, you're being crazy or I can go and discipline my child. But there is something, there is a tool. And when you, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're like, am I really thinking clearly about this? All you have to do is ask yourself why three times. And this isn't a TED talk. I, I forget who says it, but it's a CEO of a South American company. It's very successful. And he said, you know, uh, he, he was, um, walking around in a graveyard and kind of looking at people's epitaph tasks and just like reading them, you know, and saying like, well, here lies this person. He's like, what do I want my epitaph to say when I pass away? Mm. Then he says, well, well, why do I even care about that? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm dead. Yeah. So then he started digging insights. Like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. None of this matters. So in that situation, I would say, okay, so why, I asked the question, why does this matter? You and I don't care about grades or going to any kind of school. We don't, we don't believe in any of that traditional stuff. And so why are we even angry? And after a little while, it's like, it's just, it's gone. There's nothing here. There's nothing left. So you can call that a Socratic approach. And I use this with my students and I've learned this technique 
you know, we, when we talked about the four things, one of them is actually working with a, a professor. Uh, he's in charge of faculty development at Art Center. He mm. teaches teachers how to teach, and he's like a PhD, super brainy dude. So I would chat with him and get advisement from him. He's like, you know, I've been on this quest to help students find the answers on their own. Mm. This whole critique-based thing where I tell them what's wrong, I don't know if that's the best way to teach anymore. This is no. where I but yeah. that that reptile brain you're talking about, the one where you feel scared, afraid, and, and you're gonna be ridiculed or embarrassed, I don't know, I'd rather ask the questions like, why do you why did you do this? Why is this good? You know, I, I just ask questions. Of course I know the answer, but I'm leading them down a path to self-discovery. So mm. I've been practicing this everywhere I can. Mm. So if somebody asks me a question, like whatever it is, ask me an impossible question. All I'm gonna do is ask you three questions back to help you find the answer. Mm. Beautiful. So, it's like pulling out the, the, the brilliance in somebody or something, right. you know, by ha- having them self-discover, which is great. So asking th- why three times, that's interesting. Asking why three times will get you the motivation. And and uh, Tony Shea, the, the guy who founded Zappos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love his books thing. too, by his the way. His books are amazing. Yeah, yeah they're and so good. Read it. Yeah. And he says, you know, if you ask anybody what they want, they're like, I want to make a lot of money. Ask them why. Why is why is that important to you? Yeah. Well, I want to provide for my family. Well, why is it? I want to spend more time with them. Oh, there you go. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get to the you bottom of it pretty quickly with your family. Yeah. And if that's true, is the activity of working seventeen hundred hours, whatever, is that getting you closer to your goal? Yeah. It's That's when true. they realize that. So this is going to dovetail into the smart thing. To me, people that are smart, or if you want to be smart, it's not about proving to anybody what you know using six dollar words or whatever you know polysyllabic words. It's not a, or uh, you know versus like just very simple language. It's not about any of that. You demonstrate how smart you are by being a really attentive listener and helping people find their own way. Mm. Also curious, I would say as well. Being curious. Being curious helps. Yeah. Yeah, that helps part of it. I think it, that's a can, big part of it. Yeah, I think that the the people we would say as like um you know when you think of that person smart, let's say let's use Einstein for example, he's incredibly inquisitive and curious. You know, same with Da Vinci was just he <laughs> his art. If you study Da Vinci, which I've done, because um, I find it really interesting. Out of all the people in the in the world through time, how is it that this person stayed still relevant to this day and becomes a household name? Like, what is that? You know? And so by studying that, I realized like, oh, well, he was just incredibly inquisitive. And when I talk to my students, I say like, be, remember to be inquisitive, question me, question you and think about what it is that you're trying to do. Mm. Curious so of everything, you know, so. we're, we're saying the exact same thing, I think, yes. because curiosity is just asking questions, not of others, but of yourself. Of course. Well, how so can you ask of others? Based. You know, you can't right? because it's all, it's all internal because your own reality is what you can perceive as being real, you know? So, and everything outside of that, it does exist. Somebody hits you in the face, uh, you're going to phys- physically feel it, but, um, everything else inside of like, you know, the way that you perceive reality, how, how that slap feels, what that does to you emotionally. Those are all things right. that, you, that you internalize, you know? So, which is right. Really interesting. You know, like the, the older I get, the, <laughs> the more I discover this, you know, and having grown up without really having, um, possibly having these things, um, it's like books are the thing that I go to. So let's talk about our edu- education. Are you still okay. teaching at art center? Uh, I've stopped and I stopped, uh, earlier, I guess la- officially last year, I just didn't come back after 
I guess it was the summer. Yeah, I stopped. Uh, usually, I take a break during the summer, mm. and I, I, I told the director of motion that I, I don't, I'm not going to come back. And the reason being is I need to focus on this education company, and I, I feel like I want to teach more people in a larger, scalable way. And yes. going through art center is not it. And I love working with my students. It's a great school, great program. But the thing is, I teach nine, eleven, thirteen kids at a time, and mm. they're though I, you know they probably don't think this. They're very privileged. They're privileged oh, they in America to, to, to live be, in yeah. California yeah. or to have the means to get themselves to California and to afford an education that is astronomically high. It's very and expensive, Art Center, yeah. I was going to go there. Yeah, it is elitist and it's isolated, it is, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so then I was thinking, um, how do I get this out to more people who don't have access from people in East Africa, uh, for people in parts of Asia or Nepal or Turkey or or, the, or Detroit? Or Detroit even. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of stuff in our country alone that has needs a lot of people need a lot of help. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, but at the same time, no, no, I was totally that. I'm like, yeah, that's like, man, Absolutely America's true. in a big, yeah, there's a lot of problems going on. There right are a now, lot yeah. of problems. But, you know, if you think about like places where they, they barely have internet access and I, true, I, I see some true. of them on our video calls and it's like, wow, they're, they're not, they're living a third world country, really. Yes. yes. And so the first, we have first world problems. Yes, we do. You know, oh, all day long, all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's great. So there's that part of it. And there's this other thing that somebody, another professor, um, I guess a colleague of mine, if you will, she had said, you know, I've seen you speak and I, I don't want to insult you like this, but I think you're actually wasting your gifts by just teaching storyboarding. Hmm. I think you have a lot more to give than just this. Cause there's lots of people who can teach that yeah. and it's needed, but I think there's fewer people who can teach what it is that you teach. And so I was asking them to give me some flexibility to teach shorter classes, be more experimental, and I want to teach them a bigger business design thing. And they have, it's hard to make the institution be that flexible. So I was like, okay, I'll just do it on my own. Mm. I get that, yeah. right? They have to give you credits and how many units and how does this stuff, what classes this replace? I'm like, I don't really care about any of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to write a proposal. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to do all this stuff. It's you're making me work too hard. I'd rather spend the time developing materials and teaching people. Yes. So you have to go and be an entrepreneur and make your own thing. Yes. It's so yeah, really so similar. Hard. We're cut from the same because that's how Learn Squared is. That's exactly it. That's a very similar thing. So what's your thoughts on the brick and mortar school system? You know, like um, this is a very controversial topic. You know, when I was <coughs> growing up and becoming uh, quote unquote designer artist. Um, the art center was the thing. It was like, okay, you go there, you're guaranteed to kill it and be epic. And they're going to push you hard and you're going to get a great job doing something that, you know, you would only imagine, which is like working at Pixar or DreamWorks or whatever, which is very common. You know, they do is they just kind of unleash that potential within you. But I feel like since I've been in school and since I went to school, it's completely shifted. And I can only say that mostly because I helped create an online learning educational platform. So, but what's your thoughts on, on the brick and mortar school system and where do you think it's going? I think it's an antiquated concept. Uh, we're not sitting here uh, mourning the loss of Tower Records, or maybe we still are, I don't know, or blockbuster videos. We're, we're really not, because technology supplants and disrupts things. Yes. And so if you think about how um, Airbnb has disrupted uh, hotels, and how Uber, Uber and Lyft yeah. are disrupting to transportation companies, why hasn't this affected 
higher education. And I just think it's it's just it's just a matter of time. It is, yeah. It's on its way though, you know. Like it's on you, its way already. Yeah, yeah it is. Right? Yeah. So you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, Joey's doing his thing with the school of motion. Everybody's doing their thing. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. And if you look at the valuation, because I've had these very spirited conversations to debate amongst my former teachers in this whole staff meeting, right? Mm. The last time that I was there. I said, okay, let's look at lynda.com. She sold her company for one and a half billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she was my teacher at one point and she wrote some books and I didn't even know if uh, what happened, like why she stopped teaching, if anything came up. But obviously the world put a monetary value on the, her company. She had, a, I think somebody told me a hundred editors working for her full time. It's crazy. Can you imagine that? Like, <laughs> no, that's I some pressure. Like with one and a half editors working on our stuff. Yeah, the pressure, the pressure. So I, I was thinking in my mind, and just kind of thinking out loud saying, what is Art Center worth? Like if, a, if an outside person came in to appraise this, what are we, what, what do we have? Hmm. We have a space. Beautiful we building. Have, we just have a building. Like we don't have <laughs> any content that you can hold as an asset. Our teachers, <coughs> excuse me, our teachers are getting older. Some of them are, are passing away. Some have dementia. <coughs> <clears throat> what wow. do we have? And if I were Linda and I really wanted to get back into the brick and mortar game, I'd just buy Art Center for a fraction of what I got paid. Yeah. But she's smarter than that, so she's not going to buy it. Of no, of course not. Yeah. It's, it's so, limiting. It's a limited thing. It's a limited pool is what you're doing with the Art Center thing. The pool right. is big because the people are willing to spend or their families or whatever, or they're willing to go in crazy debt, quarter of a million dollar kind of debt, if not more. But yeah, it's it's not. Yeah. It's just it's the overhead and all that kind of stuff too, the maintenance and I don't even know how how that would how that works. It would yeah. distressing me out just thinking about it. <laughs> well, they did tell us uh, one time, and I, I have to be careful how I talk about this. Yeah, please don't get in trouble. Right, so. <laughs> it, it, it's more out of respect than than fear. But I would just say that when we looked at the percentage of every dollar that goes into a school like Art Center, and it, I think Art Center is doing better than a lot of schools, and they look at how much go into administrative costs, and if people found out. It would blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, the numbers. When you look at the numbers, I just yeah. When you get those things out and expose, it's really like whoa. This is jaw dropping. This is this is shaking. Like you know, like looking at budgets and where money actually does go and stuff. And yeah, it's crazy. It is very right. Crazy. So if you break down, let's break it down. Um, what do you need for a school? You need teachers. You need students, and you need a framework for the two to connect. Yes. And what do students want? Well, students want the best teachers. They don't want the teacher that's near them. They want the best teacher. It's got the most relevant information. And so then you ask, how do you define what the best teacher is? Well, the best teacher to me is a person who really knows their craft and is a super dynamic person who knows how to communicate to others and is very engaging. That's a rare breed. Very there are people rare. Who are very <laughs> engaging, yeah. Yeah. but don't know craft. Yes. There's lots of people that you and I know that know craft, but are just, you know, just kill me now. Yeah. And I try to watch your videos. I just, I'm falling asleep. I, I just, yeah. like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. It's so not engaging. Yeah. There's that really unique person. Bob okay, Ross, so basically, you want one right? like that. Yeah. Right. He, he was amazing. Yeah. He you really want to learn how to teach art. You do that. You watch his videos because not like he's the greatest artist, not even right. by a long shot, but he's so engaging and he just lets you kind of go with him and enjoy the journey. And that's very important. Uh, that's a totally different thing, though. There's some people that like only engage completely on like the, highly technical side of things but sorry you were saying 
Yeah. So that, that's what students want. So they want the best teachers. Now, the best teachers don't necessarily live within a mile, you know, certain mile radius from a campus. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. And then you say, well, what do teachers want? Well, we want the best students. We want to be paid well, compensated for our time and what we're able to give. And we want to have residual income for the intellectual property that we create, not just to teach and make money while I'm doing it. And, and I want to make money while I'm sleeping. So there's, and we want flexibility because the best teachers don't want to teach all the time. Yeah. I got a window here. I'm between gigs or I've just delivered and I need a break <coughs> from this. Yes. We want flexibility. So whoever can create the framework to bring all those components together will we'll win this. And it is not necessarily one winner, but that's, that's the thing. If you can solve that, you're going to do really well. Yeah, it's a it's very difficult. I mean, doing it myself, and I'm sure you're finding it as well. It's it's very difficult, but relevancy is very important. And also, like when you find there might be somebody on the internet, and that's the beauty of the internet too. You just look around, and that's the thing I love about art too. Um, I've had people like you know, I hate, I can't stand when people bring in other other things into the equation of art, which is like, oh, you know, like you like race or sex or whatever. It's like, you don't like that. doesn't really, for me, doesn't have relevancy. It's all about the, the art itself. And now you can just go on the internet and see who's doing what. And it doesn't have that. There's no relevance to that. It's mostly just what they're making. And you can take that and go like, Hey, you're doing something really great. Would you like to teach this? And they go like, yeah, sure. And then you'd find out that they don't know how to teach and so you have to teach them to teach, you know? And I think that's what right. the guy that our center was doing for you, which is really quite interesting, which is somebody there that's helping people teach because you need to have that psychological onboarder basically. Yeah. So there's a definite dynamic to it. There's a, yeah. the, the um, <clears throat> like you mentioned like Blockbuster and Tower Records and all that stuff, how irrelevant they are now. And nobody's mourning over it really except maybe people that like font there's like, a handful there's a handful sure but they're they're just stuck in the past really you know right. i don't mean to be a jerk it's and, and dissensitive i i i agree i think it was great when like records you could pick them up and hold them and you own them and you had a cd and it was like the art in there and you read the lyrics there the art the way that we interact with music is completely different you know like and things are happening so fast I feel like every day it's getting faster and i feel like that just a sign of me getting older <laughs> so i don't know but the next question I wanted to ask you is, do you think you can even teach the word art, quote unquote art? Do you think it's possible? I know you mentioned talk, talking about teaching creativity, mm. but do you think it's possible to even teach art? And this goes back to, I think, the psychological question about our kids, you know, and how we teach them to be people and what we've gained and how we might be doing them a disservice by giving them too much. Do you think it's possible to teach art? That's a really great question and one that I've not put a lot of thought into. I've been so focused on the design of business, the business of design, yeah. so much so that I, I, I just, that's another level. And I look at maybe as kind of processing here and who knows how this is going to come out. I, I think of maybe you can't teach art, you can teach tools and you can teach technique and you can also teach people psychology and philosophy, but then it's up to that person to kind of put all those parts together. And I love, uh, well, I went to a screening for one of the Wachowski films and they were on the stage and they were saying, you know, to me, art is an invitation to look at the world from my point of view. Mm, that's beautiful way. Eh? Yeah, it is. I like that definition. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. Right. And so first of all, do you have a point of view? So if you're a 14 year old kid now, you could be a really mature 14 year old kid, but really, I mean, what kind of point of view in the world do you really have? Okay, so I think it needs time, experience, values, and and you just gotta be able to, to have something first to reflect upon. 
So if you're an 18 year old kid and you go to art school, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to learn that. They're going to learn lots of techniques, you know, different materials and making and craft. And I think that's great. But then at some point, that person has to put all that stuff together. Yeah. And that's the closest that I, I, you know, I don't really think about this subject that often. So that's my take on it. No, that's, it's, it's, I mean, it's what you're saying is very relevant. I think it's very important. I think we should always be asking ourselves that I ask myself that as I'm teaching something, I'm like, can I even teach this? Is it even mm. right for me to even try to teach this? I think, you know, as I teach, I, I, re- I realize that this, these are, there's so many finite decisions that I make internally that are completely bespoke to me that I cannot mm-hmm. teach that that's authenticity. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about is what's your thoughts on authenticity, you know, in regards to the creative field and like, what, what are your thoughts on that mm. in general, just authenticity and, and like authenticity. being authentic in this, in this, in this industry. Well, is authenticity just being true to you and mm. not trying to be something that you're not? Is Possibly. that what you think? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I think You're asking me the, the why for my is, question. I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm I on to I you. Think, <laughs> if you think about it, um, I, I'm a little reluctant to use very specific terms uh, and I'll tell you why. And authenticity, originality, and, and even creative creativity are, are often terms used to discredit somebody. Hmm. Like, I don't know what your intent is. I don't really know who you are. Only you know who you are. Yeah. And so who am I to stand by and judge? Kind of dovetailing it back to something we talked about before. Yeah. If you're asking me for my opinion on a formal level, if the design is good, I can tell you. I'm not sure I can tell you that your work is authentic or if it's original because I'm not sure I'm the best judge for all that stuff. Yeah. And I've debated this before. Me too. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's good to debate this. It's good to talk about this, you know, and to hear different sides of the roles of everything, you know, what's the role of an art director to you? Mm, okay. You're going to open that up. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're getting into it. We but go. Hey, I didn't yeah. hit you with it in the beginning yeah. because I felt like that would be a low blow and whack, you know? So like <laughs> I want to build it up. I want people to see you as a human being because it's very important because you are, you know, and I want them to be like, this guy's just a trope. He's an elitist, you know, like, no, that's not right. You know, like, you know what though? Uh, look, here, here's how I look at it. And, and maybe there's a roundabout way to answer your other question. I have a point of view in the world. I'm not telling you I'm right. Yes. I'm not telling you you're right or you're wrong. I'm allowed to have my point of view just as much as you're allowed to have yours. Yes, you are. So there's this person inside of me, even though I was picked on, I always felt bad for anybody that got picked on. Cause you know, if your situation is bad, there was always some bigger nerd than you, somebody who had more issues going on than you. And I didn't idly stand by. I tried to like, you know, let's go over here, dude, let's get away from these dudes. Yeah. Same. I just felt compelled to do that. <laughs> yeah. So if we're, if we're looking at the, the initial thing that sparked all of this and I have to give it context, which is, I just feel like whenever somebody is being marginalized, being discredited for issues of originality, authenticity, or even, you know, what's fair and they didn't pay their dues. They didn't come up. I was thinking, you know, Oh, here, here's a story that we can relate to. Okay. There's a a fighter. His name is Conor McGregor. Yeah. And he's the biggest thing in the UFC right now because not necessarily because he's the most amazing fighter, but because he's kind of a philosopher fighter. He yeah. has smart things to very say mental. about it. Yeah, he has right? a very he mental is, game. Yeah, and he gets people in who the... know him says he reads books all the time. Yeah, This guy's a student of philosophy, and fighting just happens to be how he expresses his philosophy, hmm. either verbally or physically, okay? Yeah. 
And there's a lot of haters, um, people who have been in line for the championship, who've paid their dues. And so there's all these people like, he needs to come up that way. I'm like, well, why does he? Why is there this mandate that there's a right way to do something? And if it's different than the way you've done it, then that's wrong. Yeah. Why is that? Yeah, why is right? that? Yeah. People, when, when I say, you know, uh, maybe we can train art directors, maybe that's an option. This kid seemed to be exhibiting all the skills that I would be hiring if I was looking for an art director. Now, he just happens to be in school, and so there's certain issues around that. Yeah. I was like, why do we have to stamp the exceptional person to make them like the median? Hmm. We're talking to kids before, right? So these yeah. these weirdos, these misfits, these outcasts, like why do we just try to destroy their individuality? Now, I'm not saying he's a saint. And he could be doing it for all the wrong reasons. Sure. By hiring other students to do his work for him. So let's get back to it. Art director. An art no, director is a this person, is yeah. right? Who can interpret very abstract things and lead a team to creating something that's much bigger than the sum of the parts. Yes, yes. I agree. And I, and I couldn't agree with you more because that's what I do. <laughs> and I, and I, but I do all, I do so many different things you know, I run the company. Yeah, but you also, you're, you can make things too. Yes, and you make very things important. work well. Which you is can a, draw, you can I, do 3D, you can direct, you can do lots of things. I feel like when I look at guys, let's say it will use um, my friend Raul Marx, for example, or even Anthony Scott Burns. Um, when I look at them, and I see the beauty in which they're able to create just solely by themselves. It blows me away and makes me feel irrelevant. <laughs> and I look at that and I, and I go, I'm so inspired. You know, I get so inspired and I think about, you know, myself and I go like, how can I stay relevant? You know, not in a competitive way at all. It's just more or less like, how can I play with these guys? I look at them as almost the big league because as in the, in this industry, if you can go and say, Hey, like, I can find the client, I can talk with the client, I can make the thing for the client completely by myself. That's pretty insane. You know, that's a very, there's only like 0.0001% of people that I think can do that, you know, and that's yeah. really interesting to me. And so I feel like just out of the, the, the sureness of wanting to stay relevant, I think this comes from many different aspects. One of them is a fear-based place, which we talked about earlier in the conversation, but I feel like for me, it's like, it's important for me to know like how to add a certain shader on a displacement or something, you know, in, in Octane that would get this certain effect and whatever. And there's a relevancy to that for me personally, that if I lo lost that, it would really shake me up, I think internally. And so I feel like it's really important because <laughs> I've encountered, um, I worked for some really interesting people and I've encountered the difference between the people that sit in the office and dictate um, and, and, and the, and the fear that brings them in, in comparison to people that actually are doing both of those things, you know, and the power that comes with those things. And I don't want to cheapen either because you shouldn't, I think they're both very relevant. Learning how to direct is very important. I think that, you know, I had a, this debate with somebody on <clears throat> online too, which is very stupid. Having debates <laughs> online is the worst, especially Twitter. Twitter is the worst. About. <laughs> it's like you have only a couple words to say something that would take a, a whole a day's conversation to kind of get through. And right. it's just stupid. It's really dumb. I, I actually, anytime somebody tries to debate with me on there, I just delete their, their thing from me because I don't want to deal with it. I'm just, I, I just, I can't deal with that stuff. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's so dynamic and it's so difficult to navigate this stuff. But I feel it's very important to give value to both. And so let's get into it. We have, um, 
like maybe if it's okay with you, I have about 12 minutes or so. If that's yes. okay. Um, but uh, let's talk about the bricklaying concept and, and mm-hmm. talk about the difference between these things because there's a lot of relevancy to what you're saying here. And I think <coughs> I'm sure you, uh, a lot of people got misconstrued since that event, since that thing that kind of came up has, have, has your lens changed on this? And if you're listening to this and you haven't heard it, there'll be a link in the podcast notes to this, but it's a motion argographer uh, article called like, are you a bricklayer? I think it's what it's called. Or if you just type in motionographer bricklaying or something, I think. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Now, have I changed? No, I have not changed at all. <laughs> and my whole feeling is this, and I understand it. This is um, a microcosm of our, our universe, our reality here is that there are a lot of people who have been oppressed, who have been treated unfairly, who are underpaid, uh, treated without respect, uh, not given learning opportunities, not given credit for the work that they do, only to be sucked up by some kind of uh, hack that for whatever reason was put in a position of power and abuses the power to fulfill their own ego. And I get that. And I accidentally stepped into the hornet's nest and, and got stung and it's okay. But that's not the reality that I live in. That's not the base in which I operate in. And if you talk to anybody that's ever worked for me, I'm going to say the majority are going to come back and say, and they're going to say very positive things about how I work, what the culture is at our company and how I treat people. So I get it. So what I accidentally did was I made a comment that struck a nerve and it was a reaction to their reality. Mm, and for that, it's true. Um, yeah. I have to think about because I'm a passionate guy. I have a strong point of view. And if somebody wants to listen, I will share it with somebody. And so in the moment, uh, the feedback I got from people is it's not so much that what you said was like wrong is this the the way you said it and I get that because I talk about communication I teach communication skills to people yeah yeah long after they forget the words they remember how you said something yes you treated them and, Enunciation so I'm like, and stuff yes exactly so what happened was this was a, something that was brewing up inside of me. <laughs> I could tell. I could tell. It was. And it was yeah. boiling over because I, I wanted to schedule this meeting with um, Allison Goodman and Petrula Frantica so we can continue a conversation that got put on pause on my brain. Yeah. Because it was brought up during a staff meeting. And I was like, am I the only crazy person here that feels like maybe we could look at it? Just like if that. I love your, I, I, your perspective on this. So about, right? the, you know, I, I thought it was brilliant. Not just about like, let's just make a design or focus on typography. Let's make something bigger than that. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's great. That's, but you, we have to understand that the world around us, it doesn't, they, they're just to make a poster is something that would be relevant to somebody as personal, complete success, you know? Yeah. As even and the that, lady that was in that conversation talking about how relevant that poster was to her life, you know? Right. Like, yeah. Absolutely. And they're two really smart ladies. Yes. And I have a lot very of smart. Yeah. And they're coming back on the show and they love the, the, the discussion. It was awesome. Yeah. So we were talking about, okay, we're November 9th and there's this reaction from America about this elitist thing, but then they voted for the billionaire. So it's a simple <laughs> I, I get it. There's a lot of anger. Not they don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's things that are, people are like feeling their lives are out of control. Yeah. And that's bringing a lot of stress for them in, in real ways. Yes. Right. Not being able to put food on the table, take care of their family to fulfill their roles and responsibility. That's a tough thing. Very so tough. Very I, tough. I, I, I stepped into that. And for that, it's like I, I just chose the wrong way to say it. But in terms of the idea itself, which is I believe there's different roles for everybody. There are people who are amazing artists who can do (laughs) things that I'll never be able to achieve. Lots of respect. They're amazing. And I cannot do that. 
But if we're talking about helping each one of your listeners to find their way in life, my thing is don't try to be something like somebody else. Don't try to be like somebody else. Yeah. Think about who you are, what skills you have, and go all in on that. Build that up. So maybe you're not a very good artist. Maybe you don't have the best fill in the blank. Focus on the things that you're really good at. So an art director has to have a level of objectivity, which is critical, and not everybody has it, because the artist in you, the passion says it's this way, it's gotta be this way, and it's only this way. That's what makes you great. Yeah, so so tough, dude, it's so tough to it, navigate it, it that. It is tough, yeah. and you do fall in love with your own thing. Yes, well you should, right? that's why you're doing it. <laughs> well, yeah. there, there's the, uh, what is it, the Ikea phenomenon, where uh, Ikea's, you know, relatively inexpensive furniture to build but the act of building it the act of making it yourself make you makes you fall in love with your own thing because mm. of your labor yeah and the time investment you appreciate it more than what it really is it's like so, washing your cars and stuff that's one thing i used to that's do right. that's very therapeutic because it was like giving it was showing that hey this thing is relevant to me it's relevant enough for me to spend a, a weekend day like focusing on cleaning it and making it something that I like appreciate, you know, so right. therapeutic thing, but yeah, it's very true because you're giving it time and attention, which is very important. And, and that's I, why getting your work critiqued in class at a office in a professional way by a client can be very hurtful. Yes. You spent a lot of time and energy and it's so personal to you. Yes. So, okay. I get that. Yeah. It is. Tough. You have to remove yourself, but at the same time, I have a real hard time with that because I am the work almost if it, it makes sense. And when mm-hmm. I, when the work doesn't go well, then I'm up or down emotionally. And it's really tough to, to balance those things because I feel like if I don't apply myself and I don't say that this is me, then I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not doing it right. You know, and it's like, right. it's like, it's almost like singing a cover song rather than singing my song, you know? So it's like, I'm not being myself, you know? So it's right. very, it's very difficult to, to navigate this stuff. is very difficult. And I'm constantly thinking about it, constantly spinning around, like as I imagine you do as well. Yeah. And so question. can I share a little story here? Please, please, please go. Okay. So when I was going to art center in first term, I figured out something and, and then I, I was wondering like, why isn't everybody doing the same thing? And I just kind of, just quietly thought it to myself. And I can sum it up like this. Uh, If you wanna be really, really successful, you wanna grow really fast, if you wanna remain curious, if you wanna explore lots of ideas and save yourself from feeling hurt when things don't go well, if you can practice some form of passionate detachment, you're gonna do really well. And I'll explain that in a second. So when you're making the work, put all your heart, your soul, your creativity, everything, your emotion, your instincts, your desires, put it into that, that's your passion. But the minute the pen leaves the paper or the tablet or the stylus leaves the tablet, that's that's somebody else's work. That's not your work anymore. Mm. Be completely detached from it. Fincher just said that same thing. Yeah. Did he? He said that when he would make a film, there's he calls it like a many layered burrito. <laughs> it was like exquisitely quoted. I think literally <laughs> that was the term. It was through the, the commentary of Fight Club, but he was saying that. You know, you go the writing process and you go through the the, the, the pre-production and then you go and do in the, you go and direct and you, you get the actors and you do that and you go, then the film changes again in the editing room and you go do other cuts. And then the moment that you give it to somebody else, that you give it to the public, it's no longer yours. It's mm. theirs. It belongs to them. You move on. Right. You, know? you have to, right? You have to. I can't imagine something as big as like making Fight Club, for example, and going like having people criticize you and you just taking that personal, it would destroy you. 
They would, but you would never be able to do another creative thing. A lot of directors are like that. Terrence Malick. Right. I mean, there's so many different directors that that happens to because they take their art and so seriously and so personal. But you're absolutely right. I think. I think that's the best way. That's the perfect strategy because what you're saying is it's timing. You're talking about timing here. You're saying that be passionate, put all your your heart and soul into this because that's what makes you relevant and authentic. But the moment that you release it, fuck it, it's, it's gone. Let it be. You know, it's like somebody else's creation. It's it's it's, it's, it's the, the it belongs to the viewer and which is the you know or the experience experiential um, person at the end of this you know so and that's a totally relevant response that i think is very true and i think that that's something i've been exercising to help my mental state you know as the ups and downs happen and i'm realizing that there's a better every time i learn to work with the director or work with the mm-hmm. client i find that i when i do that I'm less irate, you know, <laughs> and I, right. it's, it's, it's emotional, um, emotional intelligence. There's a couple of books. I, I don't know if you know, there's, I'm sure you read books, imagine as well. Um, emotional intelligence is one of them that's showed mm-hmm. me a lot of really beautiful things. I imagine you probably know that one. And then there's also, I haven't read it though. You haven't mm-hmm. read that one. That one's, I, no, well, I, I, I mean, it seems like you got a good grasp on it. And then the compound effect is something that I think you might really like. Okay. I think it's quite relevant to you. You're basically going to be reading about yourself in certain right. ways, but it's going to reinforce your habits, I think. And then also the mastery. I don't know if you've read those. those mm-hmm. All no, three I- of those books are mastery is probably the best book I, I own out of top five, probably that I okay. own. It's incredibly relevant. I think you'd really love it. I think okay. it's going to help your school as well and just help you as a person be really good. Um, we only have a couple more minutes, which is a bummer. Right. I would love to have you on again if you're at all interested. Of this course. is incredibly stimulating. I'm learning a ton. I'm sure our, our audience is. I'm, I think it's great because we're giving you, at least from my perspective, I want to make it so that your decisions and your words and your thoughts, as you mentioned very openly, is that they are yours. You know, And for yeah. if you're listening to this and you get insulted, like take a moment sit back and ask yourself three times why. All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at that. You're applying yeah, it right already, away. No, you have to. Love that. You must. That's a sign of intelligence you right must, there. You must. You must. You have to be the smart ape on the tree, you know? So I'd say that's always, you know, <laughs> think, you know. So um, last question I think is really good to uh, for us to end on is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, with the with this industry, how fast it's growing. The industry, which I'm talking about, is motion graphics and graphics design, um, the film industry, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. The industry in which we work. With it growing so fast, how do you think, what's the best way of us earning that longevity? Like how can somebody stay relevant and create a, a long, like a longevity in their own career so that they can f- provide for their family or whatever it might be? What's your advice and tips on that? Um, that's a really great question. There, there's a lot of different ways to <clears throat> maintain longevity in this career. Um, practicing passionate detachment will help you because you won't drive yourself insane when things don't work out. I've seen so many superstar talented people just be completely like a shell of who they were when I knew them hmm. because they submitted themselves to a company, a process, or even to themselves in a way that was so destructive to who they are. So they are totally burnt out. There's nothing left in them. So it's that Rutger Hauer, um, line in Blade Runner when, yeah. when, when they were talking, you know, it was being said to him from his creator. I can't remember his name, but he says the candle that burns twice as bright burns twice as fast. Yes. You, you got to like think of it less of a sprint and more of a marathon. And you have to look at the work as something that you make and not who you are so that you're not defining yourself solely on that. And if you define success and, and happiness less from how good the work looks or the adulations or the awards you win and more of how much did you grow? Mm. How much did you learn? 
then you're going <coughs> to get up every single day super excited again to do it. And I'm an old dude now. But when I learn a new trick, I don't care what it is. In Photoshop, in Illustrator, if I read a new book, if I'm talking to you and you're turning me on to books and I read that, that makes me really happy. And that keeps me going all the time. You've, at, you've said this thing, you know, and, and Steve Jobs said it too, stay curious, stay foolish, or stay hungry, stay foolish. Yeah. If you do that, hungry is just another word for being curious. Like I, I have an insatiable appetite to learn, to yeah, meet no. new people, to have conversations. So that's if you can do that, you're gonna do really, really well. Hmm. Damn, dropping knowledge. Chris is dropping knowledge. This is, a, this is epic, amazing episode. Thank you so, so much for your time. I know you're very busy. Really appreciate it. Incredible. I learned so much from this episode. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having we, me, man. Yes, I it's know been you amazing. and I have been trading either tweets or something for quite some time, and then yes. finally we got this thing scheduled. Yes. It's been a very long time. Long time. And I've been hearing stories about you and your legendary commute to Prologue in the day. <laughs> we didn't even get to any of that, but no. I'm sure it's part of your story already. But <laughs> yeah. it's, and I, I watch what you do, and you have an incredibly powerful following, and that's also part of the future. If you want to have a long career, I also would say to to your listeners who who feel like this resonates with them, to think about yourself less of a maker of things for other people, but a maker for yourself. You have a really powerful thing to share with the world. Beautiful. Find your own way to do that. Yes. And I, I found this for myself. I've never thought of myself as an artist, never, <coughs> until recently. Mm. And I realized something: when I can create without compromise that is a reflection of who I am, what, I, what it is that I do, I'm getting close to being an artist. Yes. And so when I make these videos, when I sit down and I write, I don't ask anybody for approval. I don't ask anybody to edit the copy. I don't see if like, uh, will a client like this? I don't really care. I'm gonna make my thing. I don't really wanna compromise. It is selfish. It is self-indulgent. But I think that's People part People appreciate of that though, yeah. Right, and I get to put it out in the world, as you say, detach myself from it. And, and instead of going to a gallery and critiquing a painting or a sculpture, people get to say whatever they want. Thumbs yeah. up, I don't like this, I hate it, you're stupid, you're egotistical, whatever it is. They get to say whatever they want. Yeah, and it's beautiful. That's it, that's my own little place. No, it's perfect and you found it and I think you're completely, this is your thing and you found it and that's your rhythm and why would anybody say anything against that? Because you're not harming anybody. If anything, you're enlightening them. And when you throw that thing out there, like Conor McGregor, the the <laughs> the, the 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 things that he says, they're yes. they're crazy sometimes, and they can they be. Are but at the same time, you need to question your reality. Think for yourself. Question reality. You know, like Timothy Leary. You know, it's like you need to do that always. You know, you, if you're mm-hmm. not doing that, you're dead. You're dead, and you're worrying. You're wasting the best resource that you have, the most amazing thing that you get for free at birth, which is your mind don't waste that thing time mm. you know so we have to do this again i have to go it's unfortunate but i have to okay. go amazing conversation really enjoyed it i really appreciate it thank you so much uh, congratulations for all your success uh and through spiritually and monetarily it's awesome I'm so stoked for you and that concludes this week's episode big thank yous to chris for coming on the show and sharing his time with us this week you can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at the collective podcast.com slash 144 along with links to our facebook twitter and itunes podcast page have an amazing day everybody be powerful be prolific peace out everyone